Welcome to Two Guys in the Bible, a conversation on theology, culture, and God's Word. My name is Eric Leupold, and I'm joined with my brother in Christ, Dylan Keniston. Good morning, Dylan. How are you? Bright and early. Doing yes. all right this morning. How are you doing? Very early. Not so bright. <laughs> a little stormy outside. It is a little stormy out. I was actually surprised at because I didn't like hear it storm or anything last night. Then I got out to my car this morning. It's like everything's soaked. So yeah. it's all right. You'll have that. <laughs> yeah, it's all good. It's all good. So uh, I'm glad you could uh, join us. And for those of you listening, glad uh, you guys are tuning in this uh, this morning. Uh, we are a, a listener-supported podcast, and so we truly appreciate all your support, your questions, your feedback, uh, whatever you can do to keep the lights on. Uh, there. So, and if you are just tuning in with us for the first time, uh, check out our website, uh, the number two guys in the Bible.org. We have a whole bunch of episodes there and ways to contact us if you want to uh, have us discuss some, some topics of interest for you. Uh, today, we are uh, kind of piggybacking off of a topic we spoke about a couple weeks ago. We talked about uh, the image of God. Uh, I think it may have been uh, two or three weeks ago, but I mean, looked at uh, what does it mean for humans to be made in God's image, and uh, what does that look like? Uh, what does that entail? Looked at what what is man supposed to do as far as uh, <clears throat> taking dominion, uh, multiplying, be fruitful, fill the earth, subdue it, you know, all all those things, and so we we kind of barely got into maybe a little bit. Uh, how that was messed up and uh, and the fall. And I think today we're going to spend a little bit more time talking about the fall of man, the entrance of sin. Uh, what, is that, what does that even mean? Like when we, as Christians, say that this world is full of sin, mm. you know? Because that's part of the story that we have to communicate to, to non-believers, right? Like we have to say, like, what happened? Yeah. Why, is, why are things so messed up? Mm. Right. So, and I think we need to look at, you know, is it, is it kind of like that Sunday school answer where, you know, what's the problem? What, you know, what's the reason for all the problems? Sin, you know, is, it, is that like an <laughs> easy answer kind of thing? Like yeah. the one word cover, like that's the cover all answer, mm-hmm. you know, is it true? Is that false? Uh, how do we, how do we, how do we unpack that? So, uh, so that being said, uh, what is, when we say the fall, of of man, Dylan, and and its results. What? How would you kind of unpack that or begin that conversation? I love that the setups have like five or six questions all kind of sprinkled. In. Yeah, sorry. About that. <laughs> no, no, no. I it's gave okay. you the shotgun blast. <laughs> I know approach. you get the shotgun approach. No, that's fine. Um, so I would. So I think one thing to say is, I mean, you're right that it's kind of like the the Sunday school answer, and even kind of something that. You know, maybe we we snicker at or, you know, Sunday school kids might snicker at like, oh, he sinned or she sinned. Uh, he, 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 you know what I mean? But yeah, um, that's that's regrettable. So even while that that even though that's true, I think that word kind of loses can lose some of its weightiness and some of its magnitude. Mm-hmm. Um, on the other hand, we need that. Right. We, we need the notion. We need a clear notion of um, sin and the fall. And part of the reason for that is because you want to make sure you get the gospel right. Right. So in other words, you're not going to you're not going to agree on what the solution would be unless you first have a have a an understanding of what the problem is. You need to agree on what the problem is. Then you can come to some kind of semblance of agreement on a solution. Hmm. So um, so sin and the fall are are part of the problem. And sin introduces 
death and sin introduces finger pointing and sin introduces the de-godding of God and sin introduces self-aggrandizement and all kinds of things that ultimately lead to death and warfare and hmm. racism and all kinds of evil that you know in our contemporary society all the we, isms all the all of the all the bad isms right bad isms um but but there's some there's some truth to that right because at the end of the day what it's fundamentally saying is it's a it's a self elevation right Up, even above god um hmm. i think you know we're going to get to genesis 3 i think most of this ties to genesis 3 so i actually i have a quote here from from uh, piper that i thought was just really john really piper. john piper yeah, yeah that i just thought was really sharp um and he says this just in terms of when he what he's explaining is you know what's the result of of the fall and adam and eve choosing to be god he says now that i've chosen to be god my non-godlike appearance is ridiculous and humans have spent centuries with fine clothing you know cool clothing and makeup and bodybuilding trying to look less like the wreckage we are without god the root of shame is the pretension to be God, the need to look invulnerable, self-sufficient, godlike, or goddess-like. The essence of the fall of Eve and Adam, and all of us in Adam, is the supreme pleasure we have in being independent and deciding for ourselves what is true and right and beautiful, rather than finding supreme pleasure in God as the fountain of all that is true and right and beautiful. The essence of the fall is preferring to be God rather than enjoy God. Hmm. Um, I thought that I think that's sharp. I mean, I think yeah. that puts it really, really well. Essentially, it is the fall introduces sin and this notion of the de-godding of God, um, huh. and that is fundamentally the problem to which we need a gospel solution. It's kind of like, you know, it's kind of like if you, in one sense, what it does is you you have human beings created in God's image, and it's like this beautiful it's like this beautiful flower coming up growing up right and then the flower says well i don't need my roots beneath the soil i can look like god and, and be like god just on i can be a flower just on my own independent independent so yeah. you sever that stem right and what's what happens is yeah the flower still looks beautiful for for a period but then you know what happens is it dies because it, it wilts it's no longer connected to that to that source of life mm -hmm. um and so in one sense mm -hmm. you know the, the gospel is is coming to not just restore what had been lost but to even usher it further to advance it further into a kind of um permanent and perfect glory that is enjoyed in kind of basking in in god's light in the new heavens and the new earth so yeah. we're skipping ahead we'll come to that but that's um that's where i would think we would we might begin yeah yeah and and, and i think uh we talk about the the de-godding of god <clears throat> excuse me um when I, when I grew up i never really thought too deeply about uh the fall yeah i mean it just seemed like, yeah, okay, yeah, Adam and Eve, they ate the fruit. You know, it was always the, the traditional view is the apple, right? Uh, which is just, uh, you know, a, a human spin on it. Yeah. Um, and, and you kind of wonder, like, well, why is that such a big deal? I mean, like, why? <laughs> like, why did they get such a punishment for such a small thing, it seems like? But uh, after studying it a little bit more, you, you know, you, I, think, I think you do get to see really how it ends up being an act of rebellion 
against God. It's more than just eating a piece of fruit, okay, that you weren't supposed to eat. Totally. You know, that's it's, it's a lot more than that. So I was thinking, you know, maybe, I mean, Genesis 3 is the key passage. Yeah. The entire chapter, really, is, yeah. is the chapter. Um, maybe we can, uh, I was thinking, you know, read a Shall couple. read through it? Read through it and uh, maybe take a break and, like, like, like briefly stop and comment some, okay. of the, some of the comments in the section here. So, so I'll begin uh, in Genesis chapter 3, uh, starting in verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. I'll take a stop there for a second. So... It's a short, it's a, you know, one paragraph story or narration of what, what happened, right? But there's a lot in we can unpack there. Uh, you know, I've heard many different theologians kind of unpack some of the details. We don't need to go with, into all of them, but, you know, some of them point out that it's very interesting that uh, the very first thing Satan does is he attacks the, uh, the word of God, yeah. the authority of God. That's you know, huge. That's the very first thing he does. So. He says, did God really did say? Did God really say? Did God really say? And, yeah. you know, as I reflect on that, that seems to be almost even today, the, when you, on your, on, when you peel back the onion, that is the key issue that we face today when we're dealing with uh, unbelievers, people who hate Christianity, people who are arguing against Christianity. Uh, it really does come down to, did God actually say mm-hmm. these things, right? And then uh, another, this is kind of uh, maybe more of, a, of an indirect point, but I think there's some val- validity to it. Um, when the woman responds, uh, it's almost like she kind of adds a little bit more to it. Because it, it's true yeah. that you're not allowed to eat of the tree, but she says you can't touch it. Mm. God didn't say it's that. It's not what God said. Yeah. So there seems to be um, uh, humans have maybe... Uh, 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 kind of adjusted or or added to God's law in mm. that regard, mm. uh, going beyond what God had said specifically. And then the other uh, point I wanted to bring up is that uh, sa- Satan says, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. And the woman is convinced of this. And so the phrase is that she sees that the tree was good for food, a delight to the eyes and desire to make one wise, and I've I've seen I've heard many uh, theologians connect that with the good, the beautiful, and the true. So, um, you know, she sees that the tree is, is 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 good for food. Okay, so it's it's good. It's it's for your health. It's for your benefit. It's a delight to the eyes. It's beautiful. Okay, and it's desire to make one wise. It's true. Okay, so there's 
there's all three aspects of 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 our living really uh, is wrapped up into that um, and so she, 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 so she thinks that this fulfills all three of those things whereas God is the one who is tr- you know truly good beautiful and true uh, there so some just some aside points with that and of course in the end uh, she gives it to her husband so um, I've heard other commentators point out like you know, he was pro- Adam was probably with her hmm. when this happened. If she's taking food and just like kind of handing it to him, hmm. uh, so you know, we can't really say that he's innocent, and certainly God doesn't treat him as such. Uh, there, and then of course they try to cover themselves uh, with fig leaves. Uh, so thoughts on that? Yeah, no. I mean, you're touching on some really important points there. Um, I mean, you certainly you know one of the oftentimes one of the first opportunities for. Um, for us to go astray, uh, whether it be, you know, in our in our living or in our doctrine, is to question God's word. Did God actually say? Um, so yeah, that's that's certainly huge. And you know, the other thing too is uh, he, he, Satan here, his tact in in verse one is true is to introduce exaggeration. So we talked earlier about how the woman kind of introduces her own exaggeration by adding this notion of neither shall you touch it lest you die. And God hadn't added that bit. But here Satan invites exaggeration by here by saying, you shall not, did God really say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? So this is what makes Satan's lie and characteristically so um, deceitful and in some ways so alluring, right, is because it's always admixed with some measure of truth, mm-hmm. right? You, you, you know, shall you not eat of any tree in the garden? That's an exaggeration, mm-hmm. right? Because God didn't say you can't eat of any tree in the and garden. And obviously Satan knows that. And obviously Satan knows that, right? But then, then Eve is, is almost like she's, she's, she starts off by answering wisely. We may eat by contradicting Satan. We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but it's almost like she has to she has to give Satan a little bit of credence. She has to, she has to give him a little bit of room. And she just says, well, neither shall you touch it. So she introduces her own exaggeration. So, I mean, Satan is kind of picturing God as this cosmic killjoy, which, I mean, how often do we think of God like that? That's true, actually. Right? Yeah. Where, where it's yeah. like, you know, God is just this meanie parent in, in heaven kind of saying no to, to, everything. to everything you want and yeah. everything you want to do. Well, that's that here is exactly how Satan is yeah. portraying God as just this cosmic killjoy. He just wants to say no to any tree in the garden. And that's how people feel today. And, but that's, that's just such, yeah. that's just so backwards, right? Like to the extent that there was this prohibition, there was one prohibition and to the extent there was, it was for our good, right? It was, it was because God knew that we would die. And here we have Satan's I think this is the first explicit contradiction of anything God says here in Genesis 3, 4. The serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. Um, For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And now, again, what makes this so dangerous is that it's admixed with some truth. God will later say, man, has now become like us, knowing good from evil. Like there is some, and you know, and it's not, I I don't think here that the knowing good and evil is a kind of... um, that it's a kind of 
knowing a like knowledge a lot yeah it's like not yeah. so much an ignorance it's it's rather more i mean because so they, they have a distinction between good and evil because they have the command which god gave them and eve tries to initially kind of uh, weave her way around and satan's they know temptation what is too. They, yeah they know it so they know these things right so i think one of the things that is on offer is is not just this uh, empirical sense of kind of knowing good and evil but it's also a it's it's a choosing good and evil for yourselves, right? Okay. It's like yeah. I'm I'm saying now as a human being what I think is good or what I think is evil, and having the capacity to kind of now go and make that declaration independently and autonomously. Or you could say, um, y y you could say now it's I I'm going to choose that by which I want to obtain attain to goodness or attain yeah. to happiness yeah. rather than going by what God says I ought to be pursuing be to own, attain to happiness. I'll be my own God. I'll be my own God. That's the essence of yeah. it. Um, and, and so I mean, that's, that's part of the danger of Satan's lies, right? Is there's some truth that mixed in and yet it is heinously false and leads to death. And mm -hmm. where there's, I mean, you, you see in scripture how frequently sin and death are tied together, just like yeah. obedience and life are tied together. That's true. Um, yeah. So. All right. Well, let's continue with, uh, with verse eight. Okay. So we saw what okay, that, that happened now. Now what's the result? What does God, what does God do? So starting verse eight, chapter three of Genesis, and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, and I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree, and I ate. It's her fault. That's right. <laughs> Finger pointing. Yeah. And, and, you know, and it's God's fault because remember, it's, it's the woman. Yeah, that oh, yeah. And it's gave, God's fault. You gave me this you woman, You gave me this God. woman, by yeah, the way. Yeah, just, yeah. Just, you know, just throwing it out just there. Just putting it out there. <laughs> no, that's like, that's that's it, right? That's yeah. so heinous. That's so yeah. evil. That's right. And then verse uh, 13, and the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. And then more finger pointing first. More finger pointing. The serpent deceived me. Yeah. And then I, and then, yeah, I did this other thing too. I did this other thing. So now I, I want to pause real brief because that's important too. I think, yeah. I mean, it's like that is also one of the roots of all sin really comes down to finger pointing. Hmm. Like the, the, the response to anything, uh, you just see it in the heart. I mean, you see it in the heart of children. Uh, it's oh, it's never, it's never, we never own it hmm. ourselves, right? Like we never do that. We always want to blame others and and that is carries out into the world as far as like blaming blaming your circumstances blaming your boss uh blame your co-worker uh you know whatever the case may be it's always it's it's, it's always never your fault mm. you know uh and we never first say well did i do like what about me did i cause this problem right and uh i think that's a very fundamental uh, uh, you know, challenge that humans humans deal with certainly. as a result of the fall. Yeah, certainly. Yeah. So, okay. Now we'll come to the. Oh, you want? To, you had a couple thoughts there. Uh, no, oh, I yeah. think yeah. Let's move on. Okay, so uh, let's uh, touch on now the, the 
this is the really yeah the curses right the now we're talking about the real results mm -hmm. of uh, of what's happened here so starting in verse uh, 14 there the lord god said to the serpent because you have done this cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field on your belly you shall go and dust you shall eat all the days of your life i will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel to the woman he said i will surely multiply your pain and childbearing in pain you shall bring forth children your desire shall be contrary to your husband but he shall rule over you and to adam he said because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree which of which i commanded you you shall not eat of it cursed is the ground because of you in pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you and you shall eat the plants of the field by the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground for out of it you are taken for you are dust and to dust you shall return so uh thoughts there <laughs> some of those curses well so one of the things that is so I'll, we'll start it just at verse 14 you know sometimes uh genesis is taken as like this part of genesis is taken as it's taken as allegory or it's taken as some kind of uh ahistorical uh moralistic story mm -hmm. And part of some of where that comes from is you get these, the kind of the personification of the serpent, or you get the stories of like, you know, this is some origin story of how the snake lost its legs, you know, or, or, or something like that. <laughs> um, or you have the serpent like talking, right? Um, and I, I think, so we have here God cursing the serpent, and that that's part of where some of that comes from. But I think more like, that's not it, right? So I, I think a couple of things. One it is important to affirm the uh, historical veracity of, of these chapters, and we can kind of come back to some of that. But I, I mentioned that it's challenged because sometimes it's challenged on the grounds of some of these verses we just read. Um, but I also think here, more important than that is the, the enmity here that's put between the woman and the serpent, right? Between your offspring and her offspring, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Um, and we get that theme picked up again in in the gospels and and later uh, elsewhere even in some of the uh, pauline letters where you have this notion of christ crushing the head of the serpent and the serpent striking the heel mm -hmm. of of christ and mm -hmm. so you have christ's death and so in one sense it seems as if satan has won when christ is on the cross um, and yet Christ in his resurrection absolutely uh, bruises the head of the yeah. serpent, just crushes him, um, which is really, really powerful imagery to see how that gets carried over into uh, later biblical uh, mm. types. Mm -hmm. So likewise, then there are these curses uh, elsewhere. We, ha we have here a curse on the woman, um, and then we have a curse on say, the ground, but because of Adam. Um, and in both cases, I, I think there's different, slightly different things happening, um, but I think in both cases, w what's happening for, for both the woman and the man is your life is going to be harder now. Mm. Um, whereas before, the world would have made life easy for you, 
whether that's in childbirth or whether that's in uh, marriage, as we have here between Adam and Eve, or maybe that's in toil, uh, as is, you know, cultivating the ground. And, and the ground would just give its its fruit uh, easily uh, yeah. in that sense. Yeah. But here now, your life is going to be harder is, is part of what's happening. And more than that, now there's this notion that there there's you're going to you're going to die. Right. Yeah. By the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread till you return to the ground for out of it. You were taken for you were dust and to dust. You shall return. Um, so a lot is introduced here. We saw the finger pointing. We see the introduction of death. We see this notion that. You know, Genesis is often uh, dismissed as as mere allegory, but we do see here kind of a, a historical tie, and I think part of the historical tie we see is is that connection of the bruising of the the heel, the bruising of the heel, and the crushing of the head. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I, like I said, seeing that in later biblical passages makes me think, okay, well, if that's actually what's happening as fulfillment of something that happened back in Genesis three, and that the later fulfillment is historical, then there's some kind of histor- historical tenacity to these earlier verses. Yeah. And we see the difficulty of, of life apart from God. And ultimately, as we said before, you have that, cu- that stem cut off, right? So now what leads, what's led to is this, what otherwise had been this beautiful flower now yeah. beginning to wilt and die. Yeah. And, and another, I mean, that's powerful. And another uh, thing to consider is I, I see this section as basically the declaration of wars, like section, and hmm. after the fall. I mean, if you think about it, like, in a way, Adam and Eve declared war against God when they decided to rebel, and go their own way, and not submit to the king. And now you see, okay, I, uh, you know, God says, I will put enmity between the serpent, between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. So now there's war between the serpent. And mankind, mm-hmm. and you'll see, you know, we see that play out ver- in various ways throughout all of Scripture, until of course Christ uh, conquers the serpent, the dragon, and then there's war now between. So there's man versus Satan, man versus man, because now there's enmity between the woman and the man. <clears throat> so relationships are, are messed up, and uh, obviously we're going to see uh, war. Uh, break out uh, furthermore later on, especially in the first murder uh, when Cain murders his brother Abel. And then we see man versus nature. Okay, so now uh, there's going to be the thorns and the thistles, the pain and childbearing, uh, difficulty uh, getting food, and there's going to be death. Uh, and all throughout Scripture, again, you, we kind of see uh, in various judgments, whether it's you know judgments against Egypt or against the Canaanites or whatever, um, the ideas of, of of wild beasts, so you know animals, the the fear of man, and in fact that's 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 done later on. It kind of, in a way, it increases later on uh, the, the the results of the fall uh, in Genesis six because. Uh, actually, not not just after the Noah's Ark. Uh, there's a section there when God makes uh, a covenant with with Noah after the fact, after it's all done, and now uh, mankind is allowed to eat animals, whereas before with Adam it was just plants. But it says in in Genesis chapter nine verses two, the fear of you and the dread of you 
shall be upon every beast of the fear of the of the earth and upon every bird of the heavens, upon everything that creeps on the ground and all the fish of the sea. Into your hand they are delivered. Now, I, I think that's part of the dominion thing, but I think there's more to it than that. Like mm. that that idea of fear uh, and dread wasn't depicted in 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 Genesis three mm. with the fall of Adam and Eve, but it is specifically mentioned with Noah mm. after the fact. So um, I think we see that today now with with you know there's the animals are fearful of uh, of mankind. So I think we see just war breaking out uh, throughout all of uh, all of creation, really, and that's where we have it today. I mean, almost every story we tell, almost every conflict we discuss, almost every movie or book that's that's made, it's man versus God, man versus man, man versus nature, hmm. in in some way, shape, or form. It yeah, falls that's really into those interesting. Categories, it's really know? interesting, and it, yeah, it kind of you can see some of the introduction of like life being bound up with conflict left yeah. and right so yeah. yeah that's that's really interesting and even movies and shows that are man versus machine mm. machine is man's creation so in a form it's a way of man versus man so just some thoughts there so all right that's the, the basic uh, uh summary of 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 the fall in genesis chapter three so we see all these things now let's you know how do we connect it to us today, I mean, well, first of all, I want to ask you, uh, Dylan, I think an Adam, he's always in my mind, right <laughs> but why does his effect, his actions affect us? Like, how comes you and I and everyone else is feeling the effects of this? Oh, yeah. So, so Adam is our federal head. So, um, yeah, explain <laughs> that. <laughs> yeah. In 25 federal, words or I hate less. Federal, federal. <laughs> I'm a state rights guy. Um, <laughs> So, so here's what we mean by that. Um, Adam, let's put it another way. Adam is treated in scripture as representative of the human race. Okay. Um, so his rebellion is our rebellion. So mm -hmm. there is this sense in which the sin of Adam become, uh, comes to be imputed uh, onto uh, humanity. Um, so you and I you know, when, when we are, when we are born, right, we, we are born in Adam. And part of what we mean by that is into this state of sin where, um, you know, where we don't start off any longer with communion with God, right? We start off under God's wrath and under the curse, the kind of this notion of what, what some, some might call like original sin. Um, I know that that can be, you know, taken and, and that term can be yeah. misapplied, but, but generally there is something there, right? That from birth, we are appointed to death. We are appointed to some miseries in this life and we are appointed to the pains of hell apart from the saving grace of God in Christ Jesus. Mm -hmm. So here's one of the things that makes the gospel so beautiful is that, is that in Christ, <clears throat> The Bible talks about Christ as uh, a new Adam, a better Adam, who yeah. succeeded where Adam failed. And we'll, we maybe we can touch briefly on yeah. this notion of the the covenant of works, right? Where where there is this sense, um, and we we see this in uh, one of the key passages that comes up pretty often is Hosea six verse seven. Uh, but like Adam, they transgressed the covenant. Uh, there they dealt faithlessly with me. So there is this notion that, that Adam was uh, 
in a covenant with God, and that when Adam was created, he was created in the context of um, what what some would call a probationary period. So there's not a notion that Adam was like in the garden, going to remain in the state in which he was in for eternity, right? So he was either going to he was either going to disobey God, rebel against God, and fall, or he was going to obey God, and he was going to usher in a kind of permanence to the perfection that was in Eden. It was going to be a kind of eschatological glory, and that that notion genuinely was truly before Adam. He could have obeyed God and secured uh, secured his estate, mm-hmm. um, but he didn't. Right, and and so now when when Christ comes, this is what, part of the reason why Christ's obedience to God is so important. Not only obedience to the law in a positive sense, but obedience with respect to his taking on of the punishment. Right, is because by that obedience, what Christ does is he merits heaven, and that righteousness that he gains in his obedience gets imputed through faith to those who believe in him. So you can see now the sense in which Christ is the better Adam, right? That Adam disobeyed, Adam failed, Adam rebelled against God, and where Adam failed, Christ succeeded. Mm. So now by believing in God and Christ, whereas before in Adam, Adam's sin would be imputed to us, now in Christ, Christ's righteousness can likewise be imputed to us by grace through faith. Um, so when we talk about the, the covenant of works, we're talking about this covenant whereby someone needs to someone needs to obey God. Yeah, so someone does. <laughs> so someone has to obey God. Like honestly, that's what it's saying. Um, and now you could have that be Adam, or you could have that be Christ, and it, mm-hmm. you could say, well, uh, maybe I could do it. Like maybe an individual could do it. Well, you're you're basically Adam, right? You're either in Adam or you're in Christ. You're either going to you're either going to walk in the footsteps of you're going to walk in the footsteps of whoever of is somebody. Your, Someone your father. You. Someone represents you. Mm-hmm. And that's yeah. going to be either Adam or Christ. Yeah, I think one of the key passages uh, was is Romans chapter 5. Yes, Romans 5 is huge here. Yeah, I, that's, I'll read it here. We can unpack it a little bit to kind of make the, make the connection. But Romans chapter 5, verse 12, starting there. Uh, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. So so Paul there is making it clear that, yeah, one man brought about uh, death and sin, and in a way, uh, uh, all men sinned. Mm-hmm. In Adam, because that's, you know, all all die, right? Uh, and then he goes on, he contrasts it in verse 15 with, with Christ. But the free, free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, again, that federal headship concept, much more had the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. 
For if, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. And I think this part here, verse 18, makes it even more clear. Therefore, as one trespass, so Adam's sin, one trespass led to condemnation for all men. So we're all condemned, we're all guilty because of one trespass. He continues, so one act of righteousness leads to justification in life for all men. Now, and, and then first by, uh, verse 19, first by the one man's disobedience to many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience to many will be made righteous. So there's such a parallel here. Mm-hmm. And Paul is not saying that uh, when he says that, you know, leads to justification in life for all men, as if like everyone is going to be saved. It's not, it's not universalism. Yeah, it's all without every human. Yeah, all without distinction, not all without exception. The point is that he's actually comparing this entire time Adam and Christ. He's basically saying, like, listen, everyone who's in Adam, they get condemnation, they get death, they get destruction, and that's everyone because everyone descended from Adam, right? But in Christ, everyone, everyone in Christ, all who are in Christ, they get life, they get righteousness, you know, they get justification. Right. So there's that concept of, of, of federal headship where um, you're either in Adam or you have a new uh, a new federal representative. And that is Jesus. So, we, and we see the same thing in First in Corinthians 15. Mm-hmm. Um, so in 15 verses 20 to 24. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death. By a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Yeah. Um, uh, but each in his own order, Christ the first fruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom of God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. So here again is this connection between uh, we see between Christ and Adam. It really is rich. We see it again a little bit further down in verses uh, 45 through 49, again, 1 Corinthians 15. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit, mm-hmm. right? So we have that last Adam being Christ. But it is not the spiritual that is first, uh, but the natural, then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, the man of dust. The second man is from heaven, uh, as mm. was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. So just as Adam, so also are we. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. So we are robed in righteousness. We are given new birth, new life in Christ, even now, in anticipation of the glory to come. Um, yeah, this is just such, so many rich passages yeah. here in Romans 5 and 1 Corinthians 15 that make these connections. Absolutely. So what all this means is that, I mean, this is the story of the gospel. The whole point of the good news is that the bad news of the fall happened, and now God is solving that problem with his son. And that's important for us as Christians, I think. So practically speaking, this this really does matter uh, in our evangelism. Uh, you know, some of you might, you know, listening might be like, okay, it's all well and good. Yeah, the world's messed up. What is that, you know, but kind of that so what thing? Well, it actually is everything. It really is, because we, we all have problems, and we face problems every day. You just turn on the news, and there's sin all over the place, all the time, right? And no, no one denies it. Like, there, there's very few people on the planet that say the world is just fine, or it's just an illusion, and it's not real. 
um, most everyone recognizes something is wrong. And as humans, we're going to try to explain that in some way. Now, the question is, is the person explaining it properly? Is, is, there, is their explanation lining up with reality? Or uh, is their explanation false, mm. right? You know, so just let's get the example of the um, evolutionary theory, right? The, the atheist, right? So what's the, what's the narrative from their perspective? Okay, well, uh, where did everything come from? Random chance. So random chance, single-celled organism, whatever, uh, some, uh, some, you know, biochemical ooze or something, all of a sudden brought forth life. Well, is there a fall? Is there brokenness? Is there an explanation for sin? And I honestly think that the evolutionary theorists don't really have one. Hmm. I mean, they, I think they recognize something is wrong with the world. But when you really push, you know, push, push comes to shove, they can't explain why it's wrong. Because from that perspective that everything is just random chance, mm. natural processes, there's no such thing as bad or good. It just is. Yeah. It just is. If you have cancer, that's just the way it is. Molecules man. bounce. Molecules bounce. Random mm collection of molecules mm. you know it's a chemical reaction we're just fizzing right so at the end of the day you know it's all one big chemical reaction you can't complain if you get burned yeah you know so there is really no fall and so in that sense there's really no redemption either and there's no glorification right mm. so the, the, the story of evolutionary theory is a very very empty meaningless i mean that's the whole yeah. You can just wrap it up in one word, meaningless, if you really want to. Yeah, and well, so I think at, I think if if we were going to ask, you know, what is like at the bottom at, at the end of the day, yeah. you know, at at the at the bottom the bottom line is that regardless of, you know, let's say you have someone who's, you know, maybe you're a Christian and you you hold to kind of uh, an evolutionary explanation for our, our, you know, the origins of humanity. I think at the end of the day, you know, evolution or not, what we what's a non-negotiable is the historicity of the fall. No, that's true. And the historicity of Adam and Eve in particular, yeah. um, that these were uniquely created historical man and a historical woman yeah. who actually fell um compromising the historicity of of adam and eve is is very very um you, it's it's a very slippery slope to then compromising the historicity of of christ um for in in, in a lot of ways we can actually get to that maybe on another episode yeah. but but i think the bottom line here is wherever one falls on on the question of, of evolution i think at the end of the day this is this actually happened yeah. Yeah. <laughs> because you're not going to be able to make sense of huge swaths of scripture yeah. if this didn't actually happen. That's right, yeah. and and I I think it it affects how we go about uh, uh, explaining the Christian message to others. Um, so for example, I mean if, if everyone is if, if humans are just good, naturally mm. good, nothing's yeah. really wrong with us, then there's no need for there's no need for a savior because what do we need to be saved from? Right. Um, so, you know, it, it really it does have an effect on 
how do you view humans? Yeah, absolutely. Do you view humans as naturally sinful, spiritually dead? I mean, Scripture describes us that way. Paul talks about us as children of wrath, uh, dead in our trespasses and sins. That's Ephesians chapter 2, right? Mm -hmm. uh, spiritually dead. Um, so uh, that, that is very important in how we view each other. And But at the same time, it's, it's also important to recognize that, that the image of God still remains, even though it is damaged, it's marred, it's scarred. Um, uh, pe people are still made in the image of God. And so they're still that sense of, of you don't get to treat them like trash, mm. you know, uh, even, even though, even you might say, well, you know, that, that person's a, a depraved sinner, so I can just treat them like garbage. Well, well, no, 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 you still have an obligation, uh, uh, because of the fact that they're image of God, right? So I think we can hold that in, uh, intention. At the same time, though, is that just because someone's image of God doesn't mean that they, um, you know, can save themselves, pull themselves up by their own bootstraps, right? Mm. Um, because the, the fact is, is that uh, Adam and Eve did die mm. when they ate. Maybe not physically right away. They lived for like 900 years or so. But spiritually, they died. That They were separated from God. Mm. And so uh, the fall, the entrance of sin has affected us uh, spiritually, emotionally, mentally, and physically. You know, spiritually, dead can't save ourselves, need, need grace, right? Guilty. Uh, emotionally, uh, you know, we're selfish. We, we, we lose control of our emotions, anger, lust, uh, greed, all of, our, all of a variety of things. Uh, mentally, uh, we can talk about the noetic effects of yeah, sins. Uh... Basically, the concept that we don't reason rightly. Mm -hmm. we, we make very bad <laughs> logical arguments. Yeah. Darkened in our thinking. Oh, very much. In our, our memory yeah. is, is faulty. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and our reasoning is faulty. And then physically, I mean, it's, that's probably one of the most obvious ones is that we have disease and, and cancer and famine mm. and broken limbs and all kinds of just myriad of problems, mm. right? So every aspect of our being has been affected by so that's why I think, we, in a way, we can say the answer, the Sunday school answer is sin. Mm. But I think that also is why we can say the Sunday school answer is Jesus. Mm. Like the answer to all of those things, like how do you fix, like what's the solution to our mental problems, our spiritual problems, emotional, physical problems? Isn't it Jesus? Yeah. It's not <laughs> autonomy. <laughs> no, it's not ourselves. <laughs> it, is, yeah. it is Christ alone, right? It, yeah. It's, you know... Yeah, absolutely. It's it's Christ alone, and that and ultimately, Christ has his his kingdom has dawned, and he is already ushering in his his kingdom and and the realities thereof. Like when we saw, you know, in certain passages, even in the Gospels, where he's going around, he's proclaiming good news to the captive. He's going he's going around healing uh, the sick and the maimed. And, and here, wh what is he doing? But he's rolling back the curse, right? He's rolling back some of the implications of, of darkness and evil. And ultimately, in, in the most important sense, he's saving us from sin, from death, and from hell itself. Yeah. There, is a, there is a powerful sense. So even as we saw in Romans 5, where the connection between Adam and Christ, there is a sense where Paul will go on later to connect the Christian with Christ, and basically to say, you were baptized with Christ into his death, so likewise you'll be raised with him to newness of life. There is a sense in which those who are 
Christians are are in Christ, and because yeah. we are in Christ, have already died, have and and have our place secured in in the new heavens and the new earth at the at the resurrection. And so, even now, this is that process of sanctification where some of the effects of the curse are being rolled back. We have justification now in Christ because of what He accomplished on our behalf, and now likewise, it's the same grace that that imbues sanctification as we grow in Christ's likeness over time. And in each case, again and again and again, rolling back the curses of the fall. Yeah. Um, and, and that's just, that's a beautiful prospect. So yeah. if you're out there today and you're, and you're not a Christian, uh, I would just ask you to, to consider, right? What are, wh where are, <laughs> wherefore all of that ails humanity? <laughs> like, and, and what is, what is ultimately where we're going, right? Where, where are we going, it, how are we going to deal with the consequences of the fall? How are we going to deal with all of the implications of, of that we've been touching on, warfare, finger pointing, um, ultimately conflict, not just man to man, but man to God. Um, so these are things to consider. And now here, who, who else can we turn but to Christ alone, who has the words of eternal life, who can come and bring about that, that healing? Mm -hmm. um, I think, I mean, has he not proven that he can do it? I think he has. Yeah. yeah. Well, this has been, uh, I, I've actually enjoyed uh, this episode a lot. So, um, and actually this was, this was an Eric's idea episode. So <laughs> oh, was it? I don't, maybe it was. <laughs> yeah. He was like, oh, we should do the one on, on sin in the fall. I'm like, yeah, yeah totally. So, so uh, yeah. thank you brother for bringing this up. Now we do have a proverb of the day. Oh, all right. Okay. Great. Proverb of the day. Proverb of the day. And Eric's on the hot seat. Are you ready? It is my turn. That is correct. All right. Here we go. Hopefully Proverbs. The sin does not affect my mind here. <laughs> Proverbs uh, chapter 20, verse 9. Remember, sin uh, not capturing your mind, taking every thought captive to, to Christ, right? And uh, delighting in the renewal of our minds here. Proverbs uh, chapter 20, verse 9. Who can say, I have made my heart pure. I am clean from sin, from my sin. Hmm. Oh, hey, good morning, buddy. Come sit with me. Uh, everyone who's uh, listening. We have a visitor. We have a visitor. My son. Hey, buddy. You're up a little early, aren't you? Can you say hello? Hi. Say hi, everybody. Hi, everybody. Oh. <laughs> now you sit nicely, and uh, Daddy has to answer a question, all right? So it's Proverbs chapter 20 verse 9 who can say i have made my heart pure i am clean from sin yeah uh that's like a, a i mean it's it's clearly the context of a of a rhetorical question mm. um you know who can say like think about that for a second like i have made my heart pure i mean the very idea of doing that is kind of weird like oh yes my heart is is dirty and, and all messed up but i i've made it pure I, i've purified myself and that is never that's never the case to purify something even even today in our own world if you wanted to purify something you would have to take an external agent you know some kind of let's say chemical uh something external so, and apply it to the thing you want to purify i mean if you want to purify water you have to you have to throw in you have to you have to use some kind of external thing you know to to remove the impurities right so there's no way in which a person or anything can make itself pure. That's just pure silliness, right? And, or, and then the idea, I am clean from my sin. Again, the idea that you can clean your own sin. No, to, 
to be cleaned, something, someone else has to do the cleaning, right? I mean, it's, it's just silly to think otherwise. And I think that's what the proverb is trying to bring out is like the rhetorical question is so powerful. It has its power because it's so silly to say that and no one really can say i have made myself pure i am clean from sin um and really as as, as we sh- every day as humans we should think about think about that and realize okay how do i get pure how do i get clean from my sin and that's going to have to be an external agent and ultimately that's only christ only christ who his who is by himself He's already pure and without sin. So he doesn't need to be cleaned or purified. He does the purifying. He does the cleansing, which is interesting because when he, when he walks amongst us and, he is, and people touch him who are, who are sick, who are, who are unclean, they become clean. Hmm. He doesn't become unclean. He cleanses them, uh, which is just quite striking and quite remarkable mm. i mean and so all those healings all those things that jesus did they we, he didn't just do them to 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 look good they all had a purpose right and the, and so the constant healing is to demonstrate you know that he is the one that makes all things clean i love it i love yeah. it we need a cleansing from outside of ourselves that's, that's a good exactly word right yeah well, that wraps up today's episode on the fall. And, and this has been Two Guys in a Bible. Uh, we would love to hear from you. If you have follow-up thoughts or if you have any questions, you can contact us at the number two, twoguysandabible.podcast at gmail.com. You can also find us online at Twitter at Two Guys in a Bible, facebook.com forward slash Two Guys in a Bible or twoguysinabible.org. Uh, my name is Dylan. I've been joined this morning by Eric, and uh, I'm really delighted. Uh, and our, our special guest. Today. And our special Calvin. guest, Calvin. Calvin, do you have any thoughts morning. on sin you want to share? No. No, okay. that's okay. <laughs> okay. That's all good. <laughs> well, this has been Two Guys in the Bible, joined by a third. Um, so thank you again for tuning in, and God bless. All right, God bless. <laughs>